A reading from Exodus. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with its heads, head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall, not, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Beside this, you know what time it is, how it is now, the moment that you wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness 
and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Jesus said, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The Gospel of the Lord. Tomorrow, we will mark the 16th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and the United Flight 93 crash in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. So I was reminded of this by Facebook, who reposted an account by a flight attendant on Delta Flight 15, and the attendant's account of what happened to their flight that day. They were about five hours out of Frankfurt when the attendant was told to report to the cockpit and was told that they had to land at the nearest airport ASAP. And the details were still sketchy, but they knew that there had been some kind of terrorist incident in New York, and the nearest airport was Gander, Newfoundland. And they quickly got permission to land there, no questions asked, which was very unusual. And they decided to lie to the passengers and tell them that there was an instrument problem. But upon landing, and they saw so many planes that had already landed, they were told that all those other plans weren't there because they had that same instrument problem. And they were told what little they knew about what was happening in the US. No one was allowed to leave the plane until the next day when a fleet of school buses transported the passengers to the town of Lewisport, which was about 80 kilometers away. And the crew was separated from the passengers and taken to a hotel. So at that point, it was unknown when US airspace would open again. And in fact, it was two days before the passengers were delivered to the airport again for their flight home to Atlanta. And it was then that the crew learned what the passengers had been up to for the past two days. 
Gander and all the surrounding communities had closed all schools, meeting halls, and any other large gathering spaces and converted them into shelters for the plain people, as they called them. High school students were required to be on duty to attend to their visitors. The Delta 15 passengers were taken to a high school and families were kept together. The elderly passengers were taken to private homes. And during the day, they went on excursion trips. Some went on boat cruises, and others went on hikes in the surrounding countryside. And the locals prepared food and brought it to the schools, or they were driven to restaurants of their choosing. And the local bakeries stayed open to make fresh bread and goodies for the stranded travelers. And they refused to take money for their generosity. When the time came, they were all delivered back to the airport in Gander on time and not a single person missing or late. On the flight home, it was clear that the passengers had bonded and the flight felt more like a chartered party plane than a routine flight. And a passenger came up and asked if he could make an announcement, which was totally against protocol, but under the circumstances, the crew said, ah, why not? So they let him do it. And that passenger said he was going to set up a trust fund under the name of Delta Flight 15 to provide college scholarships for the high school students of Lewisport. As of the writing of this account, more than $1.5 million has assisted 134 students with their college education. I think we have witnessed that kind of response to the devastation in Houston, even as we prepare for another calamity in Florida. And hopefully, we will respond to those suffering from the powerful earthquake in Mexico and Guatemala. A good friend of mine, who doesn't identify herself as religious, posted on Facebook recently pictures of the fires and flooding with the captions, the different pictures, pray for Washington, pray for Oregon, pray for Montana, pray for Texas, pray for California, pray for Florida. Oh my gosh, you know, this is a lot, isn't it? And superimposed over all the pray fors is don't pray, vote for a government that believes in science. And my comment to her was, but action is prayer. And I say that knowing that there are many ways to pray. We pray communally this morning in our Eucharist service. We pray silently in those quiet moments when we listen for the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we pray with our lives in the actions we take to build the reign of God. In that sense, every breath we take, every action we take, is a prayer offered as a living sacrifice to God. So what do we offer? And how do we offer it? The actions of the people in Newfoundland were acts of love. The actions of those people in Houston who waded into those horrible waters to save people they didn't know at great risk to themselves were acts of love. At times like this, we see whole communities come together as if on cue to help one another and to love one another. To love people they may not give the time of day to in any other circumstance. How does that happen? 
We need to build our spiritual muscle so that when the time comes, we're ready. We hear this over and over in scripture in so many different ways and tellings. This morning, we hear in Exodus that the Israelites are to eat hurriedly, with their loins girded, with their sandals on their feet and their staff in hand. We are told over and over that all the commandments can be summed up in one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now earlier, we heard Jesus say that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with your whole heart and your whole mind, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're ever wondering how you can love a God that you have never seen, there's your answer. You love God with your whole heart when you love your neighbor as yourself. That's where you meet God. But we weren't meant to do this alone. We were meant to do it in community. That probably didn't need to be said in Jesus' time. It was just assumed. Theirs was a culture predicated on their interdependence. Ours is a culture of individuality, of personal responsibility. Ours is not a culture of responsibility to our neighbor. It It shouldn't take a communal disaster to shake us out of our sleep and spring into action. Paul is telling us this morning to wake up. The night is far gone. Time to live in the light. Time to live in the presence of the Christ and live in love. But Matthew's Jesus is telling us that we do it in community. Where two or three are gathered, there will be Christ in the midst of them. There's a story about the people of Burundi who lay out three stones and build a fire in the middle. And they put the cooking pot on the stones. And it's got to be at least three stones. For if you tried to cook on just two, the bubbling pot would destabilize it. And the two stones would not hold it, spilling the contents of the pot on the ground and anyone standing nearby. No, it's got to be at least three in order for it to work. And so it is with us. I always get a little uncomfortable with the phrase, I have accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, or as some like to say, the Jesus my boyfriend theology. As David Nianzima would say, a faith that exists only between you and your God, like a pot on only two stones, is an incomplete faith. So if you're ever wondering why it is that you drag yourself out of bed on a Sunday morning to come here, there you have it. We come to build our spiritual muscle in community. Will Tabor reminds us that Gandhi would have been just another Hindu holy man without the tens of thousands who gathered to march to the sea to make salt and who committed their lives to nonviolence. Martin Luther King Jr., would have been just another minister without the people who gathered to march and fill the jails. God is too big to be fully manifested in one person. God requires an entire people. Communities can be messy. Actually, communities are messy. We need to guard against 
our natural inclination to be in communities that are like us, that look like us, think like us. Rather, we should come to our communities in love and open to the moving of the Spirit, remembering that our companions are given to us by grace, where the person you least want to live with lives. And together, we rub the rough edges off one another. We learn how to listen to one another. We have our hubris held up in front of our faces and have to admit to ourselves that we still have work to do. And we have to hold our faith communities accountable for being places that exercise our spiritual athleticism in the work of loving our neighbor. We have to hold our community accountable when it becomes lured by the siren song of personal gain, wealth, and safety at the expense of others. We must be a place where it is safe to be weak and imperfect, a place where out of our weakness there is room for God to enter in. And we must be a place that can hold one another until that happens, loving one another as we ourselves are loved, imperfect, and unworthy as we are. We will never change the world through our might. That has never happened, and it never will. Love is not something that can be mandated, but something that must be practiced over and over again. Peace will not be attained by treaties and agreements, but by our unflinching and dogged pursuit of our love for all our fellow beings. The holy reign of God begins with our spiritual awakening as God's people, standing with loins girded, sandals on our feet, staff in hand, to go out into the life that God intends for us and meet our neighbor face to face and love them even as we have been loved. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.